Well, welcome to episode 50 of None More Blues. I'm Jeff, your host. And as a special uh, this time, as this episode is based around what will be the 40th anniversary of Steve Ray Vaughan's classic debut album, Texas Flood, I thought it would be great to have a little look at that album, The Road to Texas Flood, and interviews with industry standard people, B.B. King, Double Trouble themselves, um, Eric Clapton, John Mayer, all manner of people. When I was 13 years old, a next-door neighbour handed me a blank cassette tape labelled Stevie Ray Vaughan and Double Trouble. I took it home, I pressed play, and started listening somewhere in the middle of what I later found out was Texas Flood. And the second I heard it, I knew that it was going to mean everything to me. We are very proud tonight to introduce a fantastic guitar player from uh, Austin, Texas. So let's welcome with Chris Layton on drums. Chris Layton, Tommy Shannon on bass, Tommy Shannon, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Stevie Ray Vaughan.
like Stevie Ray Vaughan. There are some people, and myself included, who given a certain time of day, certain part of the set, certain culminating energy that happens in the room, you can play with that same intensity. But you can only do it for about 20 seconds. And then your entire arm cramps up. And you got nothing. Bright. 
Smiley face will make a wonderful sight Supposed to be with your love, with your eat, with your sleep, with your stay, with your all of my life I hope your darling sit is only 16 It was the sweetest thing to win of my dream We're together, then my life will fulfilled I love you darling, I know I always will to be with your love, with your eat, with your sleep, with your stay, with your all of my life. Guitar Slim. Ray Hennig. One day in 74, he brought back a nice strat he had been borrowing and was looking through all the instruments when he came to this old beater. He picked it up and must have played around with it for half an hour, just making chords, turning it over, looking at it, weighing it, before he asked if he could plug it in. I said, sure, but it sure is ugly. So he plugged it in and played for an hour or so. And then he told me he wanted it and asked if he could swap it for the one he had just returned. I said, well, you're ripping yourself off. That has got to be the cheesiest strat I've ever traded for. It's raggedy assed and beat to death. What do you want it for? He said, it just feels good, Ray. It just feels good. I figured he'd bring it back in a day or two, but he never did. That became his number one. Sweet little thing 
fascinated by the fact that he never ever seemed to be lost in any way I mean it wasn't ever that he took a um, a breather or to, or paused to think where he was going to go next it just flowed out of him always seemed to flow out of him and actually even that doesn't come just with virtuosity or practice or any of those it's not a question of um, doing it over and over again or anything like that it's just that he seemed to be an open channel and he just flowed through him. He never, he never ever seemed to kind of dry up, you know, because I play, like, I'm, when I play, I sometimes stop every now and then. I just stop and think, oh, what am I going to do now? I don't want to do that. I don't want to repeat myself. So I'll get caught, I'll get caught up somehow. You know, free, you freeze. You kind of freeze. And look, most players do. And I never saw him do that. So he was a channel in some way. <laughs>
To watch a guy come out on stage and not even consider that it might possibly not go over, I think is what makes people kind of um, kind of defend themselves for a minute over well, what is this really? Can I can I really believe this? What, what's going on?
On March 8, 1982, Double Trouble played the Continental Club, one of their monthly Monday shows there, scheduled, says Opperman, as close as possible to the full moon. These shows were regularly sold out and so packed that Opperman had to set up his workstation and Stevie's backup guitars in the alleyway. With people standing on the ledge all the way around the room as much as three hours prior to showtime, that performance was witnessed by Atlantic Records' Jerry Wexler, who had worked with Aretha Franklin, Otis Redding, the Allman Brothers Band, and many others, and was in town for the next night's record release party for Luann Barton's Old Enough, which he co-produced with the Eagles' Glenn Fry. That night ended with a big jam featuring Stevie, Jimmy, Luann, Doug Somm, and others. But Wexler had already had his head turned by Double Trouble. Quote, Wexler was dancing to our music and told Chesley, this band is great and should be playing the Montreux Jazz Festival. I know festival founder Claude Nobbs. I'll call him, says Layton. That got the ball rolling, end quote. I had never been to Europe and thought it was pretty amazing that though we were pretty much broke, we were flying from Central Texas to Switzerland, basically just to do a single gig. We were booked on a night that was primarily acoustic music, and we came out highly amplified. It was like we had interrupted something, and some people started booing. Tommy Shannon. We were so excited about this show, and suddenly we thought we'd blown it. 
The truth is, there were only really about eight or nine people booing. Chris Layton. But it sounded like eight or nine hundred. It was bewildering. It was like, God, we came all the way over here to get booed off the stage? walk back to our dressing room feeling dejected. We're sitting there real quiet and someone from the fest came in and said, David Bowie would like to meet you. We were, of course, excited and met him downstairs and talked to him for quite a while. He was blown away by us and called Stevie the best urban blues player he'd ever heard. We all hung out in the musician's bar for an hour and he told Stevie that he was doing an R&B record and he'd love to have him take part in the recording sessions and have us as the opening band on the subsequent tour. Stevie said, sure, give me a call. Meanwhile, the next night, we were booked to play in that same bar, and we ended up jamming with Jackson Brown and his band all night.
quote, we needed to make something happen and thought, why don't we take Jackson up on the offer and go to Los Angeles, Leighton recalls. I don't think Jackson expected us to do so, but Stevie called and he agreed to give us 72 hours of free time over Thanksgiving weekend. Even though the studio time was free, we couldn't really afford the trip, so we had to set up gigs on the West Coast just to cover things, end quote.
Tommy Shannon. Downtown really was just a big warehouse with concrete floors and some rugs thrown down. We found a little corner set up in a circle looking at and listening to each other and played like a live band.
you've enjoyed this special the making of the Texas Flood album by Stevie Ray Vaughan lifetimes and tributes from stars as a run through of the music we had Hideaway from the Montreux Festival from 1982 we had Thunderbird we had Texas Flood we had Letter to My Girlfriend Pride and Joy a live version of Cold Shot there the majority of those there are from the Stevie Ray Vaughan box set Mary Had a Little Lamb Love Struck Baby Tell Me, Testify, Rude Mood, and a live version there to end Voodoo Child, Slight Return, from California in 1983. We had Talking Heads, John Mayer, Eric Clapton, Chris Layton, Tommy Shannon, and Andy Allenort's book, Texas Flood, The Inside Story of Steve Ray Vaughan, which is an excellent read, and it's an excellent audio version as well much appreciated. My own uh, coming to Steve Ray Vaughan was via listening to his version of Superstition, the Stevie Wonder song. Big metal kid, loved Kiss and Van Halen and all that kind of stuff. And then this, um, the video and the song came on TV late at night, midnight, that kind of thing. One of those shows. And then I investigated found Live Alive, and then I thought, oh, this is good. And obviously, that's uh, not a good 
appreciation of Steve Ray Vaughan that isn't then you listen to other albums and go geez this is amazing and that is where I came from from 1986 so a little bit late to the party I suppose you can say but at least I got there so thank you to the contributors hope you enjoy this because it's been a blast putting it together I'll leave the final words to Stevie himself since I can't read music and everything I find out that I do the best when I just listen for where where I'm trying to go with it and where it can go and not try to rush it, not try to uh, make up things as I'm going necessarily, just let them come out. Then I'm a lot better off. If I start trying to pay attention to where I am on the neck and you know this is the proper way to do this or that, you know, then I end up thinking that thing through and instead of playing from my heart, I play from my mind and that's where I find that I get in trouble. If I just go with what's in my heart and let it come out, then I'm okay.